Welcome to The Inner Room, a study where we review highlights on daily scriptures and focus on the instructions and examples they provide to learn mastery of our emotions, to guide us in our spiritual journey, to learn to pray, worship, and listen to God's will for our lives. Hello, this is Sofia Fonseca de Niño, and I welcome you to this inner room. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the inner room, Emotions in the Bible. And we would love to hear your questions, your ideas, or your comments. Thank you for joining us today. Some of you may know that a few weeks ago I fell and damaged something in my knee and I have been wearing crutches for a month, laying low, can't drive, and have just started physical therapy a few weeks ago. So this week I had a luncheon with a few friends that I hadn't seen in a long time with masks. We hadn't really seen each other since before the lockdown. And since school is starting, we thought we would just touch base. So when I showed up there, I had just a great sense of joy, and one of the friends saw me coming in with crutches, and I, I'm wearing a brace, and somebody had dropped me off, and she was so taken by the sight that she said, oh my goodness, I would like to pray over your knee, and she had some anointing oil that she had brought, uh, because she's part of a healing ministry, she carries it, and so here we are dropping our cars right there by the valet and she drops on her knees and anoints my knee with oil and prays over her over the knee and it was such a loving act and such a faithful act that uh, it brought tremendous joy that she had compassion and kindness to help me like that and I tell you that that's the last time I've had to wear my crutches so there was a definite sense of infinite relief. It was just one of these sensations that an electrifying sense of joy and love and healing was applied to my leg. And um, I can pivot like I couldn't pivot before. I can put weight on it the way I couldn't. I can uh, hold myself in balance the way that I couldn't. So I am on the way to full victory, and I cannot tell you how amazed and excited and grateful I am that God works his miracles, signs, and wonders through all of us as we open our hearts, and she definitely was an instrument of healing. As we come to the readings for today, we have a perfect reading for this uh, thing that just happened to me, because Ezekiel in chapter 37 is brought by God to a valley of dry bones and asked to prophesy. And there is a, a very vivid image of how these dry bones start to grow muscle and uh, tendons and ligaments and the bodies become alive again. And that is what's happening in my knee. My knee is fully recovering and it is such a pleasure to see that I'm beginning to move much better. Uh, this responsorial psalm today is 107, and it is a thanksgiving, praising psalm. And we've talked before about psalms being about praise or supplication or repentance or <clears throat> forgiveness. 
And today is about Thanksgiving, which is so perfect because I am full of Thanksgiving, knowing that others are willing to pray so generously and, and offer even the anointing of oil. And in the reading today, which is a very simple reading, but very profound reading, Jesus is tested again about what is the core of the law. And he comes with simple words to say, love God and love your neighbor. And that is exactly what this friend of mine did for me the other day as uh, she called on God's love and mercy and healing power to come over my knee with tremendous humility. And these acts of kindness and expression of God's power are those that revive our thoughts of goodness in the world, increase our faith, our hope, and our love. So let us wonder today together about the question of the day. How are you seeing God's miracles, signs, and wonders in your life today? I am wondering if you're tired and the school year has just begun or maybe drying your spirit, feeling like you've got nothing else to give after spending summer days mostly in lockdown. Today's reading from Ezekiel 37 is perfect because it is such a vivid image of dryness. God leads Ezekiel to a valley that is filled with dry bones and He asks him to prophesy to the bones and ask them to come alive. And that is a sign that is available for us to ask God for his healing power of our spirits and to turn them on, to ignite them, to make them be full of his grace and his power so that we can take on what's coming to us as the school years have begun. And whether you have children or you don't have children, you probably are surrounded by people that are being affected by school starting in very different modes. And whether you have co-workers or people that work for you or other family members or neighbors, there is a movement towards a new action of supporting the youth and the children of the world in learning in a completely new mode. So we can ask God for his faithful help and support as we enter these valleys that feel a little bit dry. If we take the reading apart, it has a series of movements. First, God is leading Ezekiel out, and it says the hand of the Lord comes upon him. It's very physical. He's led out to this valley, and now he is watching this. And God instructs him to walk amongst the bones that are in every direction. So he's asked to get right into the middle of it, to feel the dread of it, And he sees both the number of bones, which are many, and the dryness. And here, one has, he's been immersed in this situation, sort of like us, right? We're immersed in our homes and school is starting. And God then starts to converse. He asks the prophet, son of man, can these bo bones come to life, right? He places us in the midst of our situations at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, and asks us to look at what we have before, not from our own eyes and from our own perspective and with our own power, but from his. And the question that he gives Ezekiel is for you and me. And Ezekiel's answer is, Lord God, you alone know that. 
there's a sense of humility, a sense of expectation, a sense of wonder. And God responds, prophesy over these bones and say to them, come alive. I will bring spirit into you. I will put sinews, fresh will, flesh will grow over you. There will be skin coming into, into you. And without any question or hesitation, Ezekiel moves right into it. And he moves right into obedience and he prophesies over the bones. How about you and me in our homes, right? Talking to our children, in starting with technology that is now a little easier for us to really deal with but still dealing with things that are not necessarily easy, figuring out who is separated from whom so that different classes are happening in different rooms, different schedules, different food. So we are being asked to do things we haven't done before. Just like Ezekiel, he's prophesying over these dry bones and he does as God commanded. And then God puts the spirit of uh, life into them and they are raised. And as that is happening, as Ezekiel is obeying and speaking to these dry bones, he starts to first hear a noise, and then he starts to see how this is actually coming together. So in his obedience, there's curiosity, there's expectation that God is up to something, and his job is to attend to it, to observe it, and to obey. And enmeshed in that vision that he's seeing come to pass, his heart and his mind are fully open to a continued conversation with God. So are you and I in the midst of our homes, in the middle of technology issues, in the middle of changing courses of teachers that have different requirements of books that are arriving and not arriving. Let us remember to stay open, to stay curious, to stay attentive, to stay observant so that we can be enmeshed in this vision of our own life, maintain a conversation with God because the plot continues unfolding the Lord gives new instructions to Ezekiel. And now he is to prophesy to the spirit. And there's a wind that comes and a breath that comes into the bodies. And here is he obeying, obeying again. Your obedience and mine matter. They matter in the smallness of our life because it is the way in which God continues to breathe his spirit into our homes, into our workplaces, into our children, into our co-workers, obedience in the small things and attentiveness to God speaking through these events. And then God doesn't leave you in a lurch because I am sure Ezekiel was wondering what is all of this? And God reveals not immediately, but at the point after obedience and interpretation. And he says, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They've been saying our bones have dried up. So I am coming to them to say, I'm opening your graves. I am going to rise you. And my favorite verse for the day in this reading is, I will put my spirit in you that you may live. This might be something you write. You put next to your cup of coffee if you're having one, or if you're listening to it in the car or on your walk, or maybe you are showering, or maybe you are in the garden. But remember this, I will put my spirit in you that you may live, because this is an encouraging word from God in the middle of this moment as all these new beginnings are taking place. After we see miracles, signs, and wonders in our life, we can come to Psalm 107 to give thanks. The first verse says, Give thanks to the Lord. His love is everlasting. 
And besides teaching us how to pray, the Psalms also give us indications of the character of God so that we can remember our identity, that we are children of God. First, it invites us to a relational conversation. Give thanks to the Lord means that he is wanting to converse with us. He is wanting to be in relationship and conversation with us. Then it says his love is everlasting, which means that we have the availability of his compassion, his redemption, his love, and that that love is everlasting. That means it's never going to end. So these are qualities that we have in our Heavenly Father. And if we read some of the verses that are presented to us today, we hear that the Israelites had gone astray in the desert wilderness. And as they were going to the inhabited city, they couldn't find it. They were hungry and they were thirsty and their life was wasting away within them. And God was near them. And in thanksgiving, we can come out of these places of dryness. So thanksgiving is the place where the brain switches over. You cannot feel anxiety. You cannot feel fear or anger while you're feeling gratitude. So the minute that you feel that anxiety, anger, fear is coming into your mind, begin to give thanks because that is what Jesus does right before the last supper, right before he's taken out. He gives thanks to the Father, and that is where we find our strength. We find it also because in the face of a great miracle, like I've experienced such relief in my leg through the prayers of a sister, that I am filled with gratefulness. And this builds more hope and more faith because you realize that we're not alone in the journey, that these prayers that we offer for each other in the name of God make us instruments of his grace in the world. And that's beautiful because you can pray right over your workplace, right over your home, right, right over your marriage, right over your child or your parent. And the grace of God becomes available through you. We can cry in our, distra in our distress. We can ask for guidance when we feel lost. We can ask for strength and power to reach our destination. And as we begin this new year, And we are full of longings because we didn't really have the kind of summer perhaps that we have had other years. When we feel a sense of hunger for peace or thirst for harmony and a return to our regular gathering places, we can ask the Lord with thanksgiving to continue to shed his light and his grace upon us so that we can be his instruments. We can pray for the inventors and for all the creators that are looking for cures for COVID. And we can ask the grace of God to come through them so that a healing can take place and COVID can come to an end. In the reading from Matthew 22 today, verses 34 through 40, we see two groups that are coming to challenge Jesus. And the reading tells us, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, the law tested him, giving him a question. So let's remember who these groups are. These two groups of the Sadducees and the Pharisees are both groups of Jews who live in what is called the Second Temple Era. And they're very active in Judea in this 
in this period. The Sadducees start in the second century before Christ, and they actually disappear after the destruction of the temple in the year 70 after Christ. There's a historian named Josephus that gives lots of details, and you can find them easily online. We took a class in our church about a Bible timeline with Jeff Cavins that was amazing, and we learned a lot about all of these different groups, and I highly recommend it. Now, virtually, these courses will continue, so sign up for one if you want to go deeper into these uh, historical and archaeological and human components of the Bible. So what are the differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Well, as a whole, the Sadducees have uh, roles within all the spheres of Jewish life, the political spheres, the religious spheres, the social spheres, and they are particularly going to be taking care of the temple. Uh, the Pharisees are a kind of a societal group that also have a school of thought and they have, like the reading today indicates, masters and scholars of the law. So they're very learned and they follow all the rules very strictly. They have all these beliefs. Paul, St. Paul, was a Pharisee, for example. And they have all of these rituals and very specific things that they follow. But where do the conflicts between Pharisees and Sadducees come from because we see it in the reading that one wants to get over the other one in some way with Jesus. First of all, there are cultural differences. The Sadducees are more interested in accepting Greek cultural things, including language, the process that we call Hellenization. So they are going to allow a cultural integrity with other groups around them where the Pharisees are going to want to be much more pure and separate, believing that they're separate, that God separated them and consecrated them, and they don't want to mix with the people that are around them. Then there are other differences that have to do with an understanding of the actual law and the kinds of rights and services that take place there. The Pharisees are very interested in things that come from the Mosaic law, and they're going to be, again, very strict. And then they finally also have some differences in the way that they understand the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible are called the Torah for the for our Jew Jewish brethren. And they have uh, a written version, which the Sadducees preferred because it also included Greek philosophy. And they didn't really want to have the oral Torah that the Pharisees were more prone to include. And a huge difference for them is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the body. They did not believe in angels or spirits. And Jesus, whenever he talks about that, he's going to meet great opposition with the Sadducees, where the Pharisees believe in it. And we see some of the Pharisees come to Jesus to talk to him at gardens and to invite him over to his house because they see that he is a true teacher. As they come to test him, Jesus, who is the son of God himself, is going to simplify it so much. He's not going to meet them where they want to be met. They want to be met at an intellectual argument and they're coming at him to defeat him 
with legalism and details because Jesus didn't wash his hands all the time or he uh, cured people on the Sabbath. So really he had, he was coming to renew the covenant and the Pharisees didn't appreciate that he didn't follow all the details of the law. So Jesus keeps it super simple, knowing that this scholar of the law is coming to really wrestle with them. And Jesus tells them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment and the first commandment. This is what the Bible, what is called the Shema. And this is what our Jewish friends have written in their homes. Uh, they have it as something very important. And the thing that Jesus adds is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So he is bringing the love of neighbor and of ourselves in the service of God and of each other. As we ponder the question of the day, how are you seeing God's miracles, signs, and wonders in your life? The more we practice these two commandments, the more we extend ourselves in love of God and love of neighbor, like my friend who knelt before me with oil and prayed over my knee in such an act of love that she was a living image of these commandments, of knowing that God invites us to heal and touch one another when we are hurting, to invite the Holy Spirit to come into the place of hurt, and that we come with faith, that we both with faith we're asking God to help my knee and that God grants what we ask for. When we are doing this, we can become much more open to miracles, signs, and wonders to happen in my life. It definitely has for me this week. And I definitely pray that you may experience that this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <music>